to have a vote. How many of you would let the prophet Jonah be in your Bible if you really had a vote? Knowing the story, how many of you put up your hand? You like the story of Jonah, you want to keep it in the Bible? Well, let me see what I can do to convince you otherwise. <laughs> Not that you have a vote. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> That's your guy. You just voted for him. You know, usually you think a prophet, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and he goes and speaks, and he does whatever he's supposed to do. Jeremiah, the word of the Lord, I don't want, but all right, I'll do it. Jonah, yeah, I'm not going there. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Let me give you a geography lesson. This might help you. Um, just imagine Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv, has subsumed it. So just think Tel Aviv. Northeast of there, I'll use your visual. Are you recording this morning? Okay. So they'll look it up on their maps at home. <laughs> Northeast of there is Assyria, the dreaded enemies of the Jewish people, capital Nineveh, horrible people, bad people, didn't like Jewish people, bad. Due west, Tarshish, some say Spain, but definitely Mediterranean. So he's supposed to go there, and he ends up going, no, I don't think so. So he goes down to Circular Key, books passage to go to Tarshish. Then the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. There was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. The sailors became afraid, and it... Sailors don't get afraid of a little bump here or there. Think, you know, Sydney to Hobart, races and they go out and you know some ships drop out I understand that but mariners don't get afraid that's what they do they go out there I watched Pirates of the Caribbean last week so I know all about mariners but they don't get afraid but this must have been some really bad storm the sailors became afraid every man cried to his god there's only one real God, we know that, but this was, these, were, these were polytheists calling on their gods, Neptune, whoever it is, somebody save us. So it must have been really bad uh, torrent. They threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah, your, your hero, had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. He's not even helping deliver the people that are delivering him. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Come on, wake up, get up, call on your God. Maybe your God will be concerned about us so that we won't perish. You know, come on, get involved, buddy. But your hero was reluctant. All right, each man said to his mate, come on, let's cast lots. And they cast lots to figure out on whose cause this whole thing was happening. See, they understood that natural causes were supernaturally caused. Interesting how they understood that. And the lot fell on Jonah. Don't you love that? Even pagans doing pagan things 
sort out that Jonah's the problem in the story. So then verse 8, and I want you to read this not linear, but I want you to see it like a press conference of, uh, down in Canberra, and you've got the ABC and Channel 7 and 9 and all these, and people are yelling their questions all at once. Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your, you see what I mean? They're all, it's bubbles. They're all just bubbles in a cartoon. What's your country? From what people are you? He said, okay, okay. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord because he's now realizing he's caught, he's painted into the proverbial corner. I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea, and I think he's adding this, and please, God, let there be dry land soon. I mean, he just got awakened from the basement, you know. So the men became extremely frightened. They were afraid, which is already out of sorts. Now they're extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he had told them that he was running away from God. So they're more righteous than he is. That's your boy. They said to him, what should we do for you? So that everything calms down, he said, well, throw me into the sea. And he said, they said, no, we're going to row, row, row. We're, we're going to try that. That didn't work, though. And so then they finally called on the Lord. I love this. Verse 14, they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Jehovah. I mean, we're, we'll call, forget Neptune. We're calling on the God of the Hebrews. Don't let us perish on account of this man's life. <laughs> We've sorted out it's him. You know it's him. We didn't do anything wrong, said these polytheists. And don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah and tossed him into the sea, and it stopped from its raging. That is a great moment in Jewish and Mediterranean history. Mind you, he's somewhere near Cyprus, probably. Hmm, that'd be a great end of the story. Well, in verse 16, the men did something that's almost downright biblical. What'd they do? They feared the Lord greatly. So they were afraid of the water, and then they got really afraid, and now they personalized that fear into the deity. This is what you and I would call, they got saved. The disobedient prophet accomplished something among people that he was afraid to be with. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Sounds like they had a change of heart, change of life. Awesome. And the Lord appointed a great, well, now where's Jonah? He's out there, glub, glub. Although it's calm, I don't understand how the Mediterranean could be calm, but there it is, it's calm. And then it says that he's swallowed by a great fish. We know the whale. Swallowed Jonah. And he's in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then, chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. I'm not a very smart man, but I think I'd probably pray to the Lord before the second day. First day, sure. Now, I understand he's getting his bearings. He's inside the whale's stomach. Just think of a washing machine. That's where he is. And so he's getting his bearings. I understand that. So for a little while, he's in there with yesterday's lunch. He's, he's in there trying to sort out 
what the heck? Where am I? I don't know. Oh, my. Okay. Oh, I was wrong. I mean, that'd be a good prayer. <laughs> well, he prays. Verse 2, he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I think he's saying, please, God, answer me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. See, it wasn't the mariners who threw him in. It was God. Into the heart of the seas, the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. That informed the hymn writer. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I'll look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. Great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my... Read seaweeds. Were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars. But you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, concerning those mariners upstairs in verse 8, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice. (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying, I'm better than those seamen who were up there. He doesn't even know they came to faith. But he's boasting from inside the whale of how righteous he is. This is chutzpah, uh, gall, um, in this case, stupid. All right, so there he is. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Salvation, deliverance, please get me out of this belly is from the Lord. So the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Wow. Wow, that'd be a great video. (laughs) You know, if you work with young people, just use the word vomit in a sermon, they'll love you. I've been to Hermanus out there, False Bay in uh, South Africa. And the whales get really close. I know every year about this time they have whale expeditions here along the East Coast. I've lived in Sydney 21 years. I became a citizen of Australia, uh, which is why I stayed up last night watching the cricket. Anyway, the... um, Why? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, I know we get these whale-watching expeditions that come pretty close, but in Hermanus, my goodness, they're really close, but still, that... Hurl would have been something for that whale to get up onto. Anyway, here's Jonah on dry land, and that'd be an interesting end of the story, but it's not, because then he gets a second, maybe 200 second chance, the uh, desperate prayer of Jonah chapter 2. Now he's going to rethink this go, don't go mission thing, chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. <laughs> really, I think, 200 and second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Aha, that's why you like this, because he got it. He finally went and did it, right? And so he's a good guy. Terrific. Unless you know the rest of the story. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Really think uh, Indrapilly to, um, to Cleveland. I mean, it'd take you a good long time. 
Maybe we'll say Ipswich. Anyway, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Woohoo! This is great. They're going down. In six weeks, all of the troubles of the Jewish people are going to be erased. Hallelujah. I look like a little weird because I've just been inside the belly of a whale for 72 hours, but you know, kind of washed in seaweed. It's still weird. But I'm going to go in and preach, and I don't. maybe I don't even have to preach because Nineveh, you've troubled the Jews. You've militarily occupied part of the land of Israel. You are the dreaded enemies of the Jewish people. You're going to be overthrown. <laughs> Justice. Love it. Love it. So the word gets out. And the people of Nineveh believed, verse 5, in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest, meaning richest, to the least of them. And the word of the Lord, sorry, then the word reached the king of Nineveh, think mayor, Lord Mayor, of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat on ashes, issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat or drink water. I don't know how you tell a cow not to eat or drink. But somehow the mayor was able to send this global email and it worked. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God, singular God, not on their God. Note the difference. Earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. What a great proclamation by the mayor. Wouldn't it be nice in Brisbane if such an edict came out? We're going to fast until God hears us. Wow. By the way, the word violence is the Hebrew word Hamas. Just a bonus. Now, Jonah probably didn't expect that his words would be met with such repentance. By the way, this is read, this section of Bible is read on Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement in the afternoon service on the holiest day of the Jewish year. Because maybe if God hears Ninevites, he'll hear Jewish people, say the rabbis. So we'll put this into our readings to remind us that we should call on God and we should repent. It's a good word. The rabbis say that you should repent a day before you die. Since you don't know what day that is today, you should repent. Anyway, what happened? God saw their deeds, verse 10, that they turned from their wicked way. And God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. I'm going to watch you people go down in a month and a half. Hallelujah. And so we look in chapter 3 at the, uh, the great prophet Jonah who preaches And we wait six weeks. Really, that's what it is. I mean, we don't see it in chapter three. We just think it's a moment, but it's really six weeks. Because he's waiting and watching for the calamity to come, and he doesn't do it. And now, by the way, I've worked with Jews for Jesus for 40 years. Um, 
Jewish evangelism is not easy. Maybe you understand that. Evangelism is not easy. Work with a people who've said no thank you for a long time, that's harder. And uh, yet one by one, Jewish people in Sydney and Melbourne and even here in Brisbane are turning and seeing who Jesus is and saying yes, not the thousands of the book of Acts, but one by one. So when that happens, you can bet, I'm going to let you know about it. And some of you receive our newsletter. And, and when some Jewish person or even one of you people uh, come to faith in Jesus, you know, we're going we're gonna to share the stories. We love sharing Bible truths in our newsletter. We love sharing stories. It's good, right? So you got to figure if Jonah leads the whole town of Nineveh to Messiah, man, he's going to have at least a year's worth of newsletters to write, right? So this is good. This is pretty cool. I love this. This is great. Chapter 4, verse 1. But the thing displeased Jonah greatly, and he became angry. So whereas he was a disobedient prophet in chapter 1 and a desperate prayer in chapter 2, he was a dutiful preacher in you might want to turn your phone to silent before that comes to you. Um, a dutiful preacher in chapter 3. Why? Because he wasn't happy that those people repented. What the heck? Why would, you, why would you go preach unless you wanted people to hear and respond and fall in love with the same God you've fallen in love with? I'll tell you why in a moment. Chapter 4, verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, wasn't this what I told you while I was still in my own country? In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. I know, I know. You're a, you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in love and kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. I mean, he's, he's saying what you and I might say is an Apostles' Creed kind of thing. I know who God is. Uh, I love that song. I'd never heard it before about the the preeminent Christ. Just confessional type words that we say in our singing and in our prayers. We, we confess who God is. Now this is a quote directly from several times in Older Testament. The Lord, Lord God, compassionate and merciful, abundant in loving kindness. This, so he's saying the right words, but he's saying, doggone it, how come you're like that? I know, I know, you're going to be like that. You don't have to be like that because, you see, those people don't deserve what we've got. We're Jews. We're the good people. We wear the white skull caps. They're the bad guys. Well, you get the idea. They're the bad folks. So, come on. I knew you'd do this. That's why I didn't want to go. That's why I went west instead of going northeast. What a despondent person this fellow is. I tell you what, Lord, verse 3, first of three times, take my life from me. Death is better than life. God said, do you have any good reason to be angry? Jonah went out from the city, sat east of it. He made a shelter for himself, sat under it, and said, Hrumph. The Lord God appointed a plant, grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from the discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. He's happy about vegetation, but not that the whole town of Nineveh got saved. Well, he'd love the Blue Mountains. 
But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, second time, death is better to me than life. God said to Jonah, do you have any, sorry, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, yeah, I have good reason, even to be angry, even, even to death third time and the Lord said you had compassion on a plant you didn't work for it you didn't cause it to grow it came up overnight perished overnight should I God says not have compassion on Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who are intellectually challenged they don't know their right hand from their left as well as many animals that's the end of the story of Jonah you still want him in your Bible Really, Jonah, you want this racist in your Bible? That's what he is. Admit it, Jonah's a racist. They don't deserve it, we deserve it, I'm angry, kill me now. Jonah the racist. What page is Jonah the racist in your Bible? You see what I mean? Would you want that? I mean, Rahab the harlot, I understand that because she got converted, but Jonah the racist, that's still glaring. You still want him in your book? Ah, because you're reading something more, aren't you? You're reading beyond that story. You see, there comes a fellow later. His name is Yeshua. You might know him as Jesus. Uh, you might know him as Jesus. And one day he's with his disciples. They've gone out on a missions trip, like Bill was talking about. And they came back and he said, Who do people say that I am? And some said, uh, they said, well, you know, some say Elijah or John the Baptist or, you know, one of the dead prophets. You're like a resurrected old prophet. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's a good answer. It's the right answer. Now, maybe you would turn to Peter and say, spot on. Good, good, mate. That's, that's the right answer. I was a high school mathematics teacher I'm not saying this to solicit tutorials for your children sitting there, high school certificate, but I'm just saying that, that when I got examinations back from students, I, I would put stars, depending on what year they were, or well done, or, you know, th good, good comments, but I'd never say what Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, what a weird thing to say, isn't it? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Sounds so biblical. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Blessed are you. You know what that is? That's the way Hebrew prayers begin. Baruch atah. So here he is saying, you're blessed. But it's more than that. It's actually an ordination ceremony. It's actually ordaining Peter to gospel ministry. That's where some Roman Catholics get the idea that he was the first pope. At least we Jews are running the show for a minute. Anyway, um, well, the pope still wears a skull cap. All right, so <laughs> blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He uses the full formal phrase for his name, Shimon Barjona. I mean, my Hebrew name is Reuven ben Eliyahu. The Hebrew name is my name and the son of my father's name. Although I don't think Jonah was... Simon Peter's father's name. 
But he's saying, you have the ministry that Jonah had. You want to see that live and in color? Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Some of you will know this story. If you are doing a good job as a church, you are bringing people for whom this is the first time they're hearing Acts chapter 10. It's never right for a preacher to say, well, you all know this story. Just be doing your job. Bring, bring those who don't know. And then you get to teach them. It's not this guy's job, it's your job. All right. Sheep make sheep, shepherds make shepherds. Anyway, now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household gave alms. About the ninth hour, that, so who, who is this Cornelius fellow? He's a centurion, so he has how many people under him? 100, see, you're good. So he's a military general, if you will. And he's from what people? Romans, yeah. Who were the Romans to the Jewish people at the time of Jesus and Peter? They were like the Assyrians back in the days of Jonah. They were the dreaded enemies of the Jewish people. They were the military occupiers of the land of Israel. They were the bad guys in the story. And we don't have time to unpack it, but here's what happens. Cornelius has a vision. He says, I better go dispatch a couple fellows and go get a man named Peter who's down in a man's house named Simon the Tanner. It's in a little village called Joppa. Hmm, I remember that city. So the fellows go down and they invite Peter along. On verse nine, on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, midday, to pray. He became hungry because he was smelling the hungry jacks next door and was desiring to eat. While they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and on it were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures, the earth, birds of the air. A voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, No. Lord, I, I'm Jewish. I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. A voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and the object was taken up into the sky. Now, Peter has walked with God for how many years? He's been, you know, three years or so with Yeshua. And now it's probably been, this is 10th chapter of Acts, so probably 10 years since the resurrection. So he's been you know, the Pope, for 10 years. I mean, this is pretty good stuff. He's been, and here he is, and he gets a vision. Now, when popes, I'm sorry, when, when uh, religious, when guys in the New Testament get visions, they get it, don't they? Because the vision comes and they get it. He didn't get it. This is good news for all of us who just don't get so many things when we're reading the Bible. Here it is. Peter, he sees the vision, and it happens three times. The vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, I didn't. By no means, Lord. If it's Lord, don't say no. Just a little advice. No, Lord. Um, I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Three times. So what does the next verse say? Now the thing greatly perplexed Peter in his mind. 
meaning he didn't get it. He just didn't understand. He hung out that night. Then they, he must have prayed and sorted it out. He took a couple other Jewish believers with him, and off they went to Caesarea. I don't know if this was a subpoena or if this was an invitation, but whatever it was, Peter rocks up to Cornelius's house. They bow down. He says, get up. I wear a toga just like you. And then they say, no, 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 preach to us. And what does he say? Verse 28, you ought to memorize verse 28. You ought to put this at the front of your Bible. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. The vision that Peter had with the four-footed animals and the four-cornered sheet had nothing to do with bacon double cheeseburgers. Had nothing to do with his lunch. Had to do with the people like you who eat that kind of stuff for lunch. It had to do with Gentiles being unholy or unclean. No longer they were invited in. Romans can be hearers of the same truths that God had extended to Peter, son of Jonah, to hear and to proclaim. And he gave Jonah an ending that was a surprise ending. You see, Jonah didn't, left Joppa, Tel Aviv, and went the wrong way, came back and finally sorted it and went to the right place. Still unhappy about it. Peter, happy about it, though reluctant, went from Joppa to the military occupiers of the land of Israel at the time, proclaimed a good news message, and you can read it later, the whole, the whole household got saved, and they didn't even wait till the next Sunday. They baptized him that night, and it was a pretty awesome night, awesome moment in biblical, and I'm going to say Gentile history. It's good news for you guys. I'm guessing most of you are Gentiles. You'll forgive the expression. I would have said, there goes the neighborhood, but you get the, you get the idea that God is an equal opportunity savior. And he welcomes anybody and everybody. So listen to yourself. When you say, those people are moving into my neighborhood. When you say things with the phrase, those people, you border on an Assyrian racism. I'm not saying you're racist. I'm just saying you border on it. Just listen to yourself. If you have children, you don't have to listen to yourself. They'll tell you. Boy, do they. A lot of Gentiles disregarded my Jewish people. I was born and raised an Orthodox Jew in Kansas City in the middle of the United States. Came to faith in Jesus in 1971 because God's an equal opportunity savior. And he loved me more than the fellows in my school who never witnessed to me, who might have been believers, I, I don't know. God got through to me. And I wanted to turn and I started a church and yada yada, and in 1979 I joined Jews for Jesus because I wanted to particularize my call to proclaim the gospel among Jewish people, a people who never has invited me to be their chaplain. I'm still waiting for that invite, 
but in the meantime, I'm proclaiming him. And on Sundays, thank God, I get to come to folks like you. Although this week, I'm here all week. I'll be on Vision Radio tomorrow. I'm at Kruger Parade tonight. Um, I'm all, go to the Jews for Jesus website. You'll see all the places where I'm speaking this week, ending at New Hope on Sunday night next week. Yeah, very close. Um, and then I go home tomorrow week. But in the meantime, I'm looking for Jewish folks. And if you know a Jewish friend and you want me to visit with them and you, come on. That's why I'm here. Don't, let a, don't, don't wait for a six-cornered Star of David sheet to come down from heaven over you tonight with, bake, uh, with uh, lox and bagel and uh, corned beef sandwiches and on it to remind you that the gospel needs to go to Jewish people too. I like that we have so many, I love the missions moment. I, I really appreciated hearing and seeing where your dollars have been going even this year. That's fantastic. You've got a goal to get the word out among the peoples of the world. That's fantastic. Don't forget the Jews. I believe in Gentile evangelism. Second. No denigration, seriously, no denigration. I really appreciate you. I hope that you'll use that white card that you received as you came in. If you didn't get one, there's ample up here on the front pew. And um, if you're listening online, you can just Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia. It'll get right to our website. But if you've got that white card, go ahead and tear it right on the perforation. The large card is for me. Drop that into the offertory or at my table in the green room. The small card is for you to hold on to. Pray for us. That would be fantastic. Have you seen this? It's a, yes, it's a square. <laughs> this is a geometry lesson. No, uh, this, this, <laughs> this is a credit card machine. So you can donate to us at the table or you can buy products. I'm featuring some music today. Renat, that was great. I videoed you two playing, and I already put it up on the Jews for Jesus YouTube channel. <laughs> You're now celebrities. We've known each other for 20 years or so. It's really a joy to see you again. Brothers and sisters, thanks for giving me your ear. Duncan, thanks for giving me the pulpit. Friends, don't use the phrase, those people. Look around to see whom God is sending into your world. I mean, you can go to Thailand, you can go to Burma, you can go to Sydney. Uh, you can go any number of places and proclaim, I want you to do that. Join short-term or long-term missions teams. And then watch as the world comes to you. Last night I walked around Fortitude Valley I couldn't believe how many dozens of countries I encountered just in a two-block section of the valley. There's so many people, there are, sorry, so many people coming to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get on a ship. They've come to you. What are you going to do with those people? Let's share the good news with them until he comes. Shalom. Shalom.